This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Man in the Mirror with Brett Klemmer and his team. Here's audio content from Man in the Mirror and their track called No Man Left Behind. Well, as we start, I want to I want to start off with a text of scripture that is that you all probably know and is very crucial. It's in First Corinthians, uh, chapter nine. Uh, Paul says, uh, "For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. Uh, to those who are under the law, as those under the law." And though uh, myself am not under the law, that I might save those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, uh, that I might win the weak. I become, here's the line, I become all things to all men that I might by all means win some. And that textual basis is a jumping off point for us to understand uh, something that's so important that as we think about discipleship and relationship to men, we of course need to properly exegete scripture, right? We've got to read out from scripture what scripture says about God, about discipleship, about what it means to be a man, uh, and, and about the methods of discipleship. But in addition to that, we've also got to exegete our culture. In other words, we've got to know what our culture, what's going on in our culture, particularly related to men, so that we can disciple men and apply the methodologies and content of discipleship in the 21st century modern America discipling men. And that's why we want to take a a few minutes and just kind of exegete our culture. Then we're going to have a little uh, discussion about that. uh, And uh, hopefully afterwards we'll be able to interact with you as well. So what are some of the tensions and issues related to uh, discipling men at the beginning of the 21st century? One of them, uh, as we start out, is really this idea of understanding the core significance of men. Uh, the core significance of men, uh, in, in past generations, uh, no one would have ever said in the church that men are not significant. We, we know, as a matter of fact, as we look at the, uh, the, the thrust of the Bible, that in the Garden of Eden, uh, two ate the fruit, but who is blamed, right? Well, we know Adam is blamed, and that we know our Lord Jesus Christ is, in the New Testament is called the... Second, Adam. And that is because of the core role of man. Men are the lead gender as biblically defined. And though there are issues related with, uh, with, with, with how the headship issue is viewed in the church today, nevertheless, the Bible still puts forth the, the man is the lead gender. And therefore, it's so absolutely crucial that we disciple men. Uh, because as the men of the church goes, so goes the church. And it's my contention that a church will never get beyond the quality level of its men. And so that's why we, as uh, those who are here talking about discipling men, have to not be afraid of saying, I'm glad to be a man, and, and it's important to disciple men. Because, guys, if men flourish as disciples, what happens? If men flourish as disciples, then women, children, churches, and culture flourish as well. So we're crucial. And that's one of the important things as we start out saying that it's important for us to focus on the significance of men in American culture. And then I I guess there's many uh, subjects under this next topic that I want to talk about, which is the cultural chaos that we find in America uh, that is... Uh, significant and impacts significantly our discipleship of men in our local churches. So let's think about cultural chaos. 
And uh, with this size of a group, you need to know that I, I have this desire to do this interactional stuff. Uh, but because this is being filmed, we really can't do that now. So uh, I want to ask you a question, and I want to ask you a question and get you involved. Uh, but I can't do that right now. We can talk about all this later. But in terms of our, our culture and our chaos in our culture, we look at the reality that America is not the same as it used to be even 10 years ago. Uh, and some of you are looking at me and looking at my hair and you say, you're an old guy. You've been at this a long time. I know. I know. But culture has changed significantly. And, and it's changed rapidly so that we're not in Kansas anymore, are we, Toto? Uh, the reality is it's a different world uh, here in America at the beginning of the 21st century. Alvin Toffler wrote a book in 1970 called Future Shock. And in that book in 1970, and by the way, I was a freshman in high school at that time, so I'm not that old. But, but, but at that point, he said that, that our culture would begin to take up steam and move forward and change so rapidly that people would find it difficult to actually keep up with it. And he said even in 1970, we were there. And so the changes that were uh, that are coming because of such a rapidly changing culture are upon us, and they're creating uh, a stressful environment in America today. Hey, listen, I just got an update for my iPhone. Every time one of those updates come in and it says, update your phone, I, I, I shake. What's going to happen? Am I going to be able to figure out the next step uh, of, of what my iPhone is going to They're going to configure this thing so radically? I know, I'm an old guy. But the changes are hitting all of our culture as well. Dr. Rand McLean said that just waking up in America produces a great deal of stress today as people think about what they got to do. Strauss and Howe were two thinkers that wrote a book in 19... 1997, almost, well, 20 years ago, in which they predicted, as they looked at the cultural uh, malaise of, of America and as they studied the, the history of civilizations, that America would, would be coming into what they called the winter, that there were seasons for every culture. And actually, they predicted the era in which we live uh, and we're going into a, a winter culturally. Um, many of the cultural changes that are taking place, do those cultural tsunamis and hurricanes, do they affect our discipleship of people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we can expect to see, uh, and, and everybody's talked about the, uh, the uh, presidential elections. These are wild times, aren't they? I've never seen anything like it. It's a part of the cultural chaos in, in which we live and how everything seems to be different. It affects, and we want to talk a little bit about how the cultural chaos affects uh, some of our discipleship uh, today. So the rapid change is one of them. Disorientation. Part of this cultural change uh, leads to a disorientation about uh, from a, on the part of a lot of our young men. As we think about young men and we think about uh, uh, how what a man ought to be, Robert Lewis made the, f- the statement famous, a real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward. That's a great definition of manhood, isn't it? It's great. But... But we're finding that with a lot of our younger men, there is a struggle because of the chaos, because of the not knowing what to do with femininity these days, that they're, that they're not sure. They're passive. And more and more younger men are passive and struggling. How does, how does discipleship uh, affect addressing the issues of male passivity today? We need to understand some of that as, a, as an issue. The other idea is a whole uh, question about manhood. What is a man? Uh, when I uh, get together with a bunch of young guys and I say, hey, let's talk about manhood, they go, yeah, great, let's talk about it. What is, what is it? What's a man? And so a lot, a lot of younger men today, as well as a lot of older men, are questioning this whole idea of what is manhood. We used to have some cultural Icons. We used to have a singular idea of what a man was today. 
And one of the issues in discipling men today is uh, is understanding, well, what does discipleship of Christ-following men, what has that got to do with manhood? Let me ask you, does it have anything to do with manhood, discipleship? And the answer is, absolutely. But what? But what? And, and so this, these are some of the issues that we have to address and we are addressing uh, in, in discipling men today is understanding that <clears throat> when we follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as disciples, that affects our manhood. But then the question comes up, gentlemen, how does that, if we're discipling women, how does that affect them in their gender? Is discipleship in some way affected by gender? And if so, how? Uh, these are some of the tensions that we're facing today because in a lot of churches uh, there is a hesitancy to emphasize masculinity. And so in our culture we're seeing multiple masculinities being presented to some of our younger guys and we have got to, in the process of discipleship, help men understand what it means really to be a man. This goes back to a question I was talking about with Ben as we got started here today. How do you get guys to come to meetings when men gather? Uh, if You know, in churches uh, today we find that when women call a meeting, they all show up. You call a meeting and you say, guys, you need to be there. How many come? Three or four. Uh, unless, unless there's something of value for them there. Um and particularly related to their masculinity. Uh, some counselors that we have, uh, I have read in the, in the past have said that a man is more concerned for his masculinity than even his sexuality, but they're afraid to admit it. Deep in our DNA is this desire to be a man. So we can see here that, that there is a relationship at the beginning of the 21st century with this struggle with what is a man uh, in the whole issue of discipleship. And that leads to another major issue, and that is the breakdown of the family. Uh, we've seen that. And now all of you, if you're a pastor, you know that's a major, major issue. Uh, when I talk to a group, a lot of times I'll say... Uh, how many of you have been intentionally developed by your dad? And if there's a group of 100 guys there, maybe, maybe 10 guys will raise their hands. And we're finding with the fragmentation of the family uh, that that is a huge issue in discipling men today. Because not only do men not have an understanding of how to be uh, a, a, a man or a father or a husband, but they don't know how to be a church member. What does it mean to be a part of a church? What does it mean? What's, what character is absolutely important for me to have? How does my conversion affect uh, the character in Christ? And so, so many men really are struggling today with this idea of the father wound. Not the idea of it, the reality of it. Boy, that was my story. I wear this, I wear this ring that uh, was in my father's effects. Uh, I found when he died in the year 2000 at about 87 years of age. It's a USMC ring. The problem is he was in the army in World War II. And I have no idea how he had this ring. Uh, but, but this illustrates that I didn't know much about him and he didn't have much to do with me. But here, here it is. When a man is not intentionally developed, will he find a way to become a man? And, of course, the answer is, yeah. He'll get it from his culture. And this is where the church has a, has a remarkable, unique opportunity to step into the cultural malaise that we are experiencing and disciple their men, particularly dealing with father wound issues. We just came from a great conference in the, in the large room talking about uh, how discipleship's got to be life on life. Well, that's men are hungry for that, hungry for that, uh, and um, and particularly generationally, men are hungry for that, which leads to another issue. As we think about discipleship, uh, aren't aren't we concerned for discipling across multiple generations? Uh, I love Hayden Shaw's latest book, Sticking Points. 
how to get four generations working together in the 12 places they come apart. Great title, isn't it? Don't ask me uh, the 12 uh, points where we come apart uh, because I have the book at home and I don't have those memorized. But it's interesting, as he says, we've got basically four generations taking place right now in American culture. They're living, interacting, and in the marketplace. We've got the builders, the boomers, the Xers, and the millennials. That's complex. Uh, and millennials are, are often said that they don't like boomers. What I find, I'm a boomer, right? So I find that millennials actually will put up with us. And they actually like us if we move into a relationship with them. If we'll be their friend. But a lot of boomers don't know how to do that. This is one of the issues in discipleship as we think if it takes a man to develop a man, how do we get our men mentoring younger men? This is a crucial issue. Uh, so that, and I love the idea that it's not a program, it's a movement. And what we really want to see in our churches is structure for discipleship. Yes, I'm, I'm all for that. And we can help with that at Man in the Mirror. And these other organizations can help with that too. But what we really want to see is this movement, a Holy Spirit-led movement of men mentoring other men, which is discipleship. Uh, and uh, a very, very important topic. So the generational diversity. Race issues are a big part of discipleship today. Uh, you look at the old discipleship manuals in the past and there was never anything on that. We can't leave that out today. We have got to be dealing with that. Law and grace. Law and grace is another issue. Theologically, we could, we could spend a lot of time on this, guys, right? We won't. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. When we want men to be men, when we want them to be disciples of Christ, how do you get them there? How do you get a man growing as a disciple? What do we often tell them? Uh, we often tell them, man up. You're saved. You're going to heaven. God loves you. This is what a man is. This is what a man does now. Man up. Right? How many of us have all said that? Don't raise your hand. I've said it. But what I found is that a lot of guys today struggle with that. Because they can't man up. Because we're, we're dealing with multiple addictions and we find that we are really prisoners of some of those addictions. One counselor told me uh, addictions come in pairs with spares. That if a man has one addiction, he's likely to have another addiction. And what I found is that we do need to understand in discipleship this issue of law and grace. Because if I tell these young guys, if I'm telling the guys I want to disciple, just do it right. Is that going to make them want to follow Jesus? What we're finding, what I'm finding that I think is absolutely crucial, is that grace is what energizes my growth in manhood. That, until, that I, in discipling men, I must keep the gospel of grace central to what I'm, I'm doing, or then they will do it out of duty, or then they'll just give up. So discipleship has to be rooted in the gospel of grace. Uh, and we have got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day lest we become discouraged, you know. I mean, it's so important. I wake up every morning and I'm a sinner. Uh, sometimes I wake up and I'm not real happy to be awake. Um, I, I'm, I don't wake up nice. I've got to have an attitude adjustment every day. Lord, help me to love those people out there that you care about. But I get, feel guilty for my sins at times. Lots of times. You ever feel guilty? So what we find is that when we focus on the gospel, that God loves me as I am, that he's poured out all of his wrath on Jesus, and he doesn't have any left for me, when I understand the gospel of grace and get that at the beginning of the day, then I'm energized to grow in my manhood. We could talk some more about that, but that's so very much important. And then as we, as we get to these issues of, of understanding the civilization, the world uh, in which we live, uh, we, are, we are, in America, the world is coming to us, isn't it? Again, 20 years ago, Samuel Huntington wrote the book, Civilizations in Conflict. And in that book, he talked about how uh, we are dealing and we need to think civilizationally, uh, that, that different cultures are coming to us. Here in America, how do we reach them? 
Some of your communities are being radically transformed by more Muslims that are coming into our country. What Do we ignore them? Other ethnicities that are coming here, how do we reach? How do we disciple them as well? These are some of the issues that are facing us as we think about discipling men at the beginning of the 21st century. Uh, it is rocket science, isn't it? Well, what we want to do now is uh, I've laid out a bunch of things and a uh, lot of ideas. I want to turn it over to uh, Jeff Kasaya, our national field director, and he's going to lead us in a discussion on these points, and then hopefully we'll be able to get a little bit more information and hopefully some guidance practically about what to do. Thanks. Jeff? Great job, Pete. We're joined by two of our field staff at Man of the Mirror, uh, Clark Miller and Ron Reed. So let's have you guys introduce yourselves as we get our fireside chat going today. Clark? Hi, guys. Clark Miller from Dayton, Ohio. I'm regional director. I've been with Man of the Mirror since uh, 2012, so it's been a couple of years. Um, what else would you like to know? You love woodworking and you like MGs. Uh, I love woodworking and MGs, and it was too cold, uh, well, too far to, to drive the MG today. I have three kids, uh, six, eight grandkids now. Uh, not as many as Ron, but uh, yeah. So some of those questions that you dealt with got this intergenerational thought to, to me. How can I help my grandkids now mm. learn to love Jesus like mm-hmm. I love Jesus? Yeah, right. Ron, give the guys a little bit of your background. Uh, I'm from Chicago, not from Chicago. Don't hold that against me. I'm actually from Kansas, so we're not in Kansas uh-huh. anymore. But um, <clears throat> been a pastor for the last 33 years up until 2011 when uh, also joined with Man in the Mirror. Uh, started uh, officially 2012, so been uh, area director in Chicagoland and then regional director uh, from uh, Nashville or from I'm sorry Indianapolis to Dallas to Seattle Spokane and Portland I've often joked it's a good thing I can't spell Albuquerque or they'd have given me that too but uh, <laughs> uh, so the regional work is working with other area directors to again help churches disciple men uh, married for 42 years three years ago today I was on the Camino de Santiago with my wife we celebrated our 40th anniversary by walking across Spain Because nothing says I love you like walking 20 miles a day with a backpack and sleeping in a hostel with 40 strangers. So uh, we we did that uh, three years ago. And uh, 42 years married, five kids, 16 grandkids. And uh, they are are truly the joy. And the thing is, I'm only 39 years old, so that's what's amazing. So So Pete is really, uh, you know, described cultural manhood versus biblical manhood. And so many congregations, so many leaders at Man in the Mirror were trying to serve pastors, train leaders to see God transform the lives of men. But there's so much to do within the walls of the congregation. Uh, they're asleep at the will uh, to exegete the culture, mm-hmm. as Pete was describing earlier. G- give us some examples of what it looks like in uh, Chicago and Dayton in the churches we're trying to serve, in the uh, pastors and leaders we're trying to train. How-, how effective are they in exegeting the culture, let's say, in Chicago? It was very good. In regards to the exegeting the culture, years ago, I'm not necessarily in agreement with all Leonard Sweet's teaching, but he did a a conference where he literally just held up a Starbucks cup, and he used that to... uh, to exegete the culture, that this, this really does show who we are today, what we do. And that, that taught me that no matter where you are, what you're doing, to take a look at what does this teach me about our culture today. And I shared this last night at supper, and I heard crickets as soon as I did, but I said, you know, you can even stand at a urinal. It's all men in here, so I can say this. You can stand at a urinal today, and it kind of teaches you something about our culture, that our almost every urinal and toilet is automatic flushing today. And so you st- walk up to a urinal, and the guy didn't flush because it, you had to flush it. And he's so used to an automatic flush that he just walked away without that. Uh, you, you, you said that uh, Robert Lewis is accepting responsibility. We have developed a culture that is expecting everything to be done for us. And so now to talk about discipleship and discipline we're starting literally from ground zero in a lot of that, of that you've got to learn what it means to accept responsibility. Balancing that with, with grace, uh, you know, you've, you've heard the statement, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and we've used that as a, as a good thing, 
But the actual full quote of that is, no man can pull himself up by his own bootstraps. Because when you think about it, that's an impossibility. Pete's wearing boots. You can't pull yourself up by those. So there's this balance of what is responsibility and what is grace. So literally the exegeting of the culture is where are the men uh, in in their walk, in their understanding, in their their, uh, experiences to be able to learn what does it mean to have discipleship? Mm. I can tell you, you've been a pastor for how many years? 30 yeah, and some months? Yeah. Uh, for, for me, what, what I look at is our culture is uh, in sound bites now. Uh, we get the text, we get the notification, and even, even the meetings that I'm in now, uh, they, they have a laptop, people have laptops or phones, and they're ta- you know, I'm thinking that they're reading text, but they're taking notes. And it's like, even, even sitting here, my grandkids have been texting me on my phone. So you weren't listening to me. Then. Not, okay. what, what did you say your name was? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's that it's still going off. Um, so that's the kind of things that we're, we're dealing with. That the attention span of guys are so small, and that translates into how do we do faith in sound bites, hmm. a scripture at a time, a verse, a word at a time, instead of a whole concept of hey, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm allowing the Spirit to talk to us. And I think just, just like we, uh, we deal with, with the Spirit talking to us, well, the, the sound bites of the phone, we look at that like if the Spirit teaches us or shows us something, we're on to the next thing right away. Now, back to your original question uh, about the culture in Dayton. Uh, one of the churches that uh, there are two hippies that came to, to Christ. One was in their 70s and in the 70s, not in their 70s, but uh, in the 70s he came to Jesus and, and he started a church and it's in, in a warehouse now. Uh, it's called Fellowship Chapel and discipleship was so important to him that he is now discipling over 700 churches in the United States and almost as many in Russia. I don't know how the connection got there, but we're starting to say, okay, you've got the first steps of discipleship and we're coming along with as man in the mirror and we're giving them the second steps how to go longer and deeper and wider. Another church uh, is the First Heavy Metal Church of Christ. Love this church. Uh, These are guys that uh, come to to Jackass Bar in their motorcycles. That's where they have their church. Uh, They come tatted, leathers, long hair, piercings. And they're just, they know they're broken. And they know they need Jesus. So it's, it's out there. It's raw. And the music is heavy metal. And they drive their heavy metal. But they're called heavy metal because iron sharpens iron. That's how they name themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they now have had two churches. They've had a spinoff of that. They have a daughter church now, and they're just they're soaking up scripture. They're soaking up uh, knowledge, but the knowledge is turning into obedience. So what do you do with knowledge? A lot of places stop there, but they're taking it and saying, okay, we've got to be responsible with this now. What do we do? And instead of the behavior modification, they're looking at heart transformation. And that's how, you know, a couple churches are dealing with it in uh, Dayton area. Yeah, you know, what, what stood up, and then I want, you know, you pick it back up, but what stood out is you saying we've got to be careful to, that we don't think of discipleship in terms of just sound bites and rely on social media. You've got to use it. I mean, uh, so there, there's two things that you kind of said that seemed... That, that were complementary. Don't rely on uh, social media and sound bites, but be creative with new modes of reaching men, like the metal church. Uh, we, we, we've got to shift gears, or we're not going to reach those other guys in our community, around us, in our church. But we got, we've got to change our models to reach men. Good comments. Yeah. One other thing that you said in regards to uh, that they're not just learning. You know, for, for years as a pastor. Discipleship was equated with teaching. Yeah. You know, teach the guys and, and or teach uh, the congregation. And yet, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he he exegeted that culture. And nine times in First Corinthians, he says, "Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know a little leaven leavens the lump? And don't you know that the association with the prostitute puts you puts Christ with that?" So he kept challenging that with that. But the reality is, they did know. They just weren't doing anything with the knowledge. Mm. And we have educated way beyond our obedience 
especially, I think, in, in men's ministry, guys know a lot of stuff, but we're not doing. So it's got to be that we're actually saying, how do you take that next step where it's not, as, as Clark said, not just behavior modification, but there's a heart transformation in this. What I think has happened is we are after teaching and imparting our knowledge. And oftentimes it's, you know, what we're doing in, in small groups or life groups or whatever we're calling it now, we're getting together and, and we're exchanging, what do I think? What do I think? Well, let's go back to what, what, does, what does God say? What, and uh, when I was discipling youth uh, back in another lifetime ago, um, I didn't, they kid me and say, you never answered a single question. I said, exactly. I wanted to teach you how to think. And one of the guys that I taught uh, was in my discipleship class as a senior in high school. He did, uh, I think, eight tours in Afghanistan as an Army Ranger, as a medic, uh, came back and became a policeman. He is now our discipleship pastor at our church. Great combination to have a cop, a trained military guy as a discipleship pastor. I, I mean, the that. guys will come if he tells them to come. You know, come or I will track you exactly. down. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I'm hearing things that I taught him 14 years ago, mm. and I'm going, wow. That's awesome. But I taught him how to think, and he was ripe, and he was hungry. So it wasn't just knowledge that I was teaching him, but I was teaching him how to think and how to find the answers in Scripture. Mm. What does God think? Hey, you don't care what I think, but I, I was tra- training and teaching them what God was teaching me at the time. So it's, it's like real. It's there right in front of them. That's great. I love this quote on the banner up here uh, from our uh, organization that's sponsoring this conference, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. And I think a lot of times uh, we've offered men the written word, and we have not equally offered them the living word. First Thessalonians 2.8, Paul is writing, and he says, I delighted to give you not only the gospel of God, but my life as well. So what does it look like to give our life? Ron loves to, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Pete loves to go uh, hiking in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, in the downstairs basement at Clark Miller's home is uh, woodworking accessibility. I'm a season ticket holder for the Clemson Tigers. I enjoyed being there last week with the Louisville Cardinals. I like to take spiritually disconnected men. And I feel the presence of God in that ministry of hanging out as much as I do in a formal classroom environment. I think there's a healthy balance needed as we march along with men, as we say in our principles, give a man what he needs in the context of what he wants. Ron, what are some examples of churches, now that you've been working for several years up in Chicago, that are showing a good balanced approach as far as on-site, off-site, engaging the culture, embracing the culture? We've taken some guys from the inner city down to see the Cubs play when we've been up there with you. So cite some examples where some churches are being creative and strategic in that regard. Well, it's, it's critically important as we are working with churches. So many churches have been, especially with men, have been very good about being event-driven. Uh, they do a lot of events, and those those are uh, they're critical to go to the Cubs games, to go to the uh, uh, you know the paintball uh, night out or the the beast feasts. I just spoke at a uh, this this shows men's ministry. I, I spoke at a men's uh, kickoff barbecue, and when I walked up. Uh, it was nothing but meat. There was nothing green anywhere around <laughs> except for the grass they were on. Uh, the only the only thing that wasn't meat was uh, beans, and it had meat in it. So I joked about that. That's the difference between men and women. That's but uh, you know, men do like to hang out together. They love to go to things. But if we're not intentional, and that doesn't mean that we're going to be at the Cubs game and open the Bible and have a devotion, but that we're intentional about building the relationships, about actually doing something for the next step. And so, we, yeah, we've, we're typical in Chicago with every other men's ministry with a lot of the different things that are happening. Uh, we're, we're very blessed with uh, uh, being in close proximity to Milwaukee where they have the No Regrets uh, annual conference, and they simulcast that. But we've learned, and uh, a lot of the churches we're working with that host a simulcast, what are you doing as a next step? You get the guys here like a Promise Keepers event. How do you get them to take that next step? And so we've got... Um, uh, probably about 10 churches this year that will be hosting No Regrets, but they are also then getting guys involved in the next step after that. So that, that really raises the whole issue of, of Matt and Mir's focus of 
of creating value, create creating value, but then capturing it, that next step, and then sustaining that in the long term of, of groups and how important that is. And a lot of times we as churches, in church, as a pastor for 30 years, we, we, we do an event and then it falls off and that's it. We you put know. everything we have into an Easter Sunday, yeah. and then we take the week off because we're exhausted. Yeah, and nobody's captured those guys. So with every event, there's got to be that next step. And and this is where I think um, No Man Left Behind as a resource for Man in the Mirror is a great book for churches to understand how do you put that whole model together? How do we reach guys on an ongoing basis? Guys, I would recommend that. Pete, let me tell you about a, a church in my area that uh, they're having a fall festival in a couple weeks. And I'm challenging the men. What are you doing? Well, nothing. So why not? Uh, it's a community festival. You're going to have 6,000 people on your front lawn. You're going to have balloon or blow up things for the kids. Yeah. You're going to have uh, tents with food. You're going to have the food wagons in. And you're not going to do anything for the men? Well, well, maybe we should. And suggested something like, uh, what do you call those things where you take the hammer and you Strong hit? Strongman what do you call oh, the it? Strong, ring the bell? The strong man. Yeah, strong man thing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just attract the men because every man wants to do it, whether he does or not. Every man wants to see whether he can do it. And there's a trick to it. I'll teach you later. You come up to me and I'll tell you how to do it. Um, but then, why don't you engage the guys there? And then, you've got something coming up. Give them an invitation for this men's event. Mm-hmm. And they thought, man, that's a great idea. Um, we went to a New Men Left Behind training in Akron uh, a couple weeks ago, and on the way home, the guys were talking about it. And they thought, you know, what can we do? And I said, well, you know, what's there? What's going to happen at the church? Fall festival is one thing. But what's coming up that you can gather around and support that and make it better? And uh, the church uh, once a month uh, has a food drive for their, the, the food pantry. And people bring a, a drop off a bag of groceries at the back of the church, uh, their car while they're in church. Somebody comes along, hopefully the right people, and, and picks it up and, and takes it for their food pantry. And they thought, I know. Why don't we run up to those people? Nobody's ever thanked them before. Why don't we run up and thank them and ask them if we can pray for them? And I just heard yesterday or two days ago that those guys, Sharon, did wonders for them. But they said, I can't believe how many people ended up crying, even the guys. They say, nobody at church has ever prayed for me. Wow. Nobody at church has ever prayed for me. I mean, let that sink in. Yeah. Uh, yet this is a place, uh, you know, we were talking earlier at the, the other uh, session about how do, we, how do we show that we're Christians? Well, we care. We love and we reach out. See, this is this is something that I think a lot of uh, men don't realize, uh, or, or women women think that <clears throat> men don't want relationships, and that we don't want closeness. Uh, we do. I want to go to an event, but I really I'll, I'll more likely go if a, if a buddy invites me, if a guy invites me, because I care. I want relationships. I do want relationships, and if somebody would pray for me, that'd be awesome. If I, they say, you know, but so often I say, they, when asked, how am I doing? I say, oh, fine. And so we, so we've got that, to learn. That, that's the Christian F word, by yeah, the way. Yeah. The four letter F word. Ah, uh, fine. fine. So I, I heard years ago that, uh, to ask the second time, how you really doing? Yeah, right. And the, the number one answer given when we ask how you doing is fine. Number one answer, how you really doing? Busy, tired. Yeah. But if you ask a third time, how you really doing? The number one answer given was, how much time do you have? Yeah, right, right. I'm fearful, insecure, nervous, and exhausted. That's fine. <laughs> you know, but, but, but guys want relationships. We, if a guy learn, that's why we have to have this as a movement where we need to learn how to move into each other's lives uh, as men, mentoring men, and uh, uh, pray for each other, whatever it takes. Women, when they have a problem, connect. Men, when we have a problem, isolate. Yeah. And so when we see a guy pulling away, it becomes our responsibility. We've got to reach out to him. He's not going to turn around and come to us. We've got to say, hey, who's, who's not here today? Mm-hmm. And reach out to him. That's right. So in 28 years as a men's pastor, uh, Pete, uh, we observed three common issues that men were facing. Marital harmony, parenting wisdom, they never go away. They stay with us. Right. But the father's wound, you mentioned that earlier. I found out that a man cannot give away what he hasn't experienced himself. But in the last several years in traveling the country, being with our field staff and interacting with over 600 churches, 
I'm also discovering now about the church wound, the church that doesn't care enough to pray, the uh, uh, abusive leadership, or the moral failures. So speak to that from a pastoral perspective as we are striving to see healthy churches that unhealthy churches can also impact. There's enough of the uh, swimming upstream and the downstream world with all the cultural manhood issues. But when it shows up on our doorsteps, that's a challenge as well. We lose the trust factor. Yeah, we really do. And we're seeing more and more, and you've seen it in the literature online. Uh, we've seen it recently again resurfacing about pastors who have fallen. And uh, that, that often creates a very dysfunctional and hurting church. Uh, and and uh, because we do look to our spiritual leaders, and so pastors really do have a higher uh, role in in terms of the spiritual leadership. Paul, uh, uh, Peter said, "Let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such you will incur stricter judgment." I took that very seriously, or was it James said that? It's in the Bible, and uh, James, thank you. Uh, and, and so I take that very seriously, and and yet. Uh, are, are, we have to see that we we men are we have to disciple men that are even in unhealthy churches or or hurting churches because they're the hope for the the restoration of those churches and taking a, a brand new course uh, so important you know Peter I, I really don't care how unhealthy you generally speaking as a man I don't care how unhealthy you are I care about your health so I'm not going to condemn you for your unhealth. But I'm going to help you find help, hmm. freedom in your brokenness. And I think when we, we, we just when we can literally say I'm broken, uh, that's when Jesus can really help, and we can come alongside of this. We have a recovery celebration, uh, 300 guys, men and women, and it's held like an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leader and moderator, whoever uh, worship leader, stands up and says, "Hi, my name is Jay." And I'm a recovering drug and alcoholic. And my higher power is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And he names it. And they always give a lead. Somebody tells their story. But the story is how they found health in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's all pointing to that. And at the end of the celebration, they say, hey, there are guys around with name tags. Uh, go find them. Uh, help find out where you can get plugged into a small group to find health. Mm-hmm. But we also a lot of a lot of the church wound is a pastor's wound, and uh, in, in working with many many churches across the nation and finding that uh, the pastor is hurting. Barna's research shows that over 90% of pastors are carrying a, a wound, uh, and usually inflicted by less than three people, but they're wounded. So I was sitting in a in a church office with an executive pastor. Uh, about a month ago, and he said, I went on your website and I saw that your mission statement says, we serve pastors, train leaders, transform men. How do you serve pastors? And fortunately, the phone rang right then, and it gave me a second to, to come back to his question, because, you know, the way we serve pastors is by helping take the men's ministry, the ministry to men, off of his shoulders and hopefully build that. But that, that pastor was saying, how can you serve, how can you serve me? Uh, he was a hurting pastor. And he said, I oversee 17 staff. Nine of them are burned out, ready to quit, and the other seven I need to fire. So he said, how do you serve me? And that, that's got to be one of the things that as ministry to men, you can serve your pastor. You can go to him and say what Clark just said. Pastor, how can I pray for you? How can I reach out and, and actually stand alongside you? And also let the senior pastor know, our ministry to men has his back. If anybody starts complaining about my pastor, I'm going to stand up and say something about that. So, guys, whether you're a pastor or uh, you know a men's ministry leader, to actually stand with that pastor and say, I'm here to serve you, and most importantly, I'm here to pray with you and for you. Mm-hmm. You'll do a great job. Yeah, that, that's so crucial. And all of, us, all of us have been on staffs at church, senior pastors or on staff at churches. And we know how difficult it is to really be honest and authentic um, uh, in our own discipleship with our own issues. And that has to, that, that has to continue. Uh, we need brothers. We, we need to be processing our own father wounds because as pastors, we bring that into, into the church. And so that's kind of a message. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'll go on record. I used the church of Jesus Christ to feel good about myself for a long time. I needed my identity to be rooted in Christ. 
and in the gospel of grace rather than in what I was doing. Uh, and so when a pastor begins to get that, um, then he can help others get that. And then it's not a celebrity show of how much I got it together. Uh, but I'm a real uh, fellow traveler with you. Um, we need that grace too. One of your uh, issues you brought up was evangelical pluralism. And you mentioned about the uh, whole political scene. And while many of us as a citizen have been concerned about the lack of a presidential mindset, healthy dialogue, even, you know, good, strong uh, debate uh, aspects, well, that kind of often will spill over into the church community as well. It's been interesting to watch social media and those within the evangelical community respond. And so how do we focus on what unites us and not what divides us in a variety of ways? What, what are some crucial ways to demonstrate biblical unity to avoid a lack of, uh, of health and also to demonstrate uh, true biblical unity? That's crucial, and, and I, I, want, I want to hear what these guys are seeing out there too. But we are seeing among evangelicals uh, that those that were Bible-thumping, you know, Bible, we're all Bible-thumping believers, evangelicals. But even within evangelicals, the doctrinal uh, cohesion is separating. Uh, uh, we used to agree on a lot of the same things, on politics, on gender, on social issues, and now we're, we're not as much. Uh, and, and, and that, we have to recognize, affects our discipleship. And um, so what can we do is we do the easiest thing is we have to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that our unity really is around Jesus Christ. And I have to learn to accept my brother, you know, who differs with me. I'm to the right of Genghis Khan politically, but but if, if he's more left leaning, I need to be able to say, all right, our unity's in Christ. Uh, and not around even those, if you're wrong. He, yeah, he can be wrong. I mean, if he's a Baptist or I'm a Presbyterian, you know, you, I'm a Presbyterian. You can be a, you don't have to be a Presbyterian to go to heaven, but why take a chance? You know, I mean, but 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 I need to love my brothers who differ with me on theological issues and say they matter, but they're not going to separate us. We have we as the men of the church. I'm going into preaching here, but I believe we as the men of the church have to talk about doctrinal issues uh, that are legitimate areas that divide us, but we've got to talk about them in ways that don't divide us. And it's our responsibility uh, with other people and as pastors to not be attacking people who have a legitimate biblical basis for a disagreement with us, charismatic issues, whatever. So that we could focus around Jesus and, and give our congregations and other people the proper language to talk about these things. I went on too much, but uh, that's important to me. You were preaching. I was preaching. I don't know. Yeah. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> then I'll, I'll say, uh, Pete gave a devotion at uh, our field, national field staff training a couple years ago from Isaiah 3, 4, I believe. He talked about that uh, we're a culture on the cusp, and, and it was tremendous of looking at you know, men not being men and the results of that. And the, the passage in Isaiah 3 says that because of the failure of men, because of the failure of discipleship, children will lead them. And if you've watched the debates, and if you watch the political season, uh, regardless of who's elected, children are leading us. And it's time for us to stand up and be men and, and again, call out that manhood, uh, even in the political process. You know, hey, we, want, we want to be led by, by men. We want to be men. We want to be what God's called us to be. So I think that, again, just having the discussion is critical. We were talking over here that there's so many things we're afraid to even approach. We need to discuss and do this in a, in a biblical manner. And we can jokingly say, well, you know, even if you're wrong, I, I give you that right to be wrong. But it's got to be that we're, we're going to address this. And what does the Bible say? What, you know, Thus saith the Lord has been dropped from many of our pulpits let alone our discussions across the coffee table. It's got to be, thus saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it comes back to the uh, knowledge versus obedience. You know, we have all this knowledge, and we, we, we understand that knowledge in a different way. But basically, how do we obey? And one of, the, one of the main things that I see in this political debate right now is, you know, you're a Republican or I'm a Democrat. No, you're a child of God. You belong to a different kin- kingdom. You are an alien in this place. You're a citizen of heaven. Yeah. And we don't have that concept anymore that we as men of God, you know, we're here. We're ambassadors. We represent the king. We don't re- represent a political party yeah. or an ideology yeah. of, of rightness. 
we represent the king. So how do we get back grounded and rooted in our faith development, in the basics of, of faith, that, hey, we're set free. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our ultimate loyalty, our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm reading a book now called The Destruction of the Gods, in which this scholar talks about how the early church actually undid the pluralism uh, of the Roman Empire, where it was okay to worship multiple gods, but because of their because of their absolute loyalty to Jesus Christ, where you couldn't worship other gods, every other religion could. Our unity uh, as as brothers and sisters in Christ is around Christ, and that is our primary loyalty. Yeah, that's that's a good word. One of the uh, values at Man in the Mirror is that uh, while others are called to curse the darkness and we will prayerfully support them and see God's sovereign will unfold, uh, we're called to shine the light. That, that is our approach. Pete addressed that a little bit. What's, what's the difference? What does that look like to go shine the light in a uh, situation we're facing today? In, in our culture, yeah, boy, I tell you, this, this is where one of our brothers, as we were talking earlier, was talking about how men like to make a difference in American culture. They like to do things. They like to work. We like to work. We like to be busy. And so this is where the gospel, once it's touching our hearts, we can get involved practically in, in service. And you, you guys touched on that. And I think that's where in churches we need to link our, our head knowledge. And head knowledge is important, by the way, right? Uh, it is important to get... No- Knowledge. Most of us were trained in, in seminary to teach and proclaim. And, and that was sort of the subtotal of discipleship when we're saying that's not enough. It's got to get to our head, to our heart, but then out to our feet. So it's very practical. And so our discipleship ministries within our churches have to be more full-orbed, don't they, with, with activities as well. Service. One of the things that I was thinking about in preparation for this time is, is that, that a lot of the churches, particularly in my area, uh, are very evangelical. They say, come to Jesus, but then here's how you can serve. Instead of, come to Jesus, and here's how you can grow. Here's how you can develop that relationship. Uh, in practicality, uh, the church that I go to uh, has an a emphasis right now called the Love the three, 937, which is the area code. So how can we love the area that, that we are right now? And we're doing uh, picnics. We, we've taken over a couple churches uh, in downtown Dayton. Uh, one of them is in a, a diverse background neighborhood and a high crime rate. So what we do is we throw picnics there, and we invite the community. And we bring policemen in, and we have soccer games, police and, and uh, the kids or anybody who wants to join. And the community is changing. We went into a church that had 40 members, uh, and they voted to receive us. And now they have 450 there going. We serve them breakfast every Sunday. Uh, we've gone out every Saturday and worked in the community. Crime rate has gone down 87% in that community. Wow. And it's just absolutely incredible. That's how we can put the, the feet of Jesus into the community. Are we, are we, as you guys travel and see different churches, are we missing, are we saying come to Jesus and serve and missing the growth part? Are, are many churches missing yes. that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's uh, one of the first things I heard um, through Man in the Mirror. You know, Matthew 28, we all know, says go and make disciples. And then in Matthew 9, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, so pray for workers. And we've done a great job over the last 40 years that I've been in ministry of making workers and praying they become disciples. And we've got to reverse that if we make mm-hmm. disciples. Another thing that was even mentioned in the, in the bigger room was um, we, we have this picture that's called the discombobulated blob. And it has all these ministries that happen in a church, all these things that we're doing, from preaching and teaching to social work and, and uh, stewardship even. So all these things we teach and preach, but then when you draw the box around, these become the methods and these are the outcomes. And the ultimate method and outcome is discipleship. When we make disciples, we get workers. When we have workers, we don't know if they're disciples or just people who are trying to salve some guilt or something. Another uh, issue you talked about, Pete, was generational diversity. And I'm really uh, uh, drawn to this topic because I think sociology and theology have got to go hand in hand. Mm. And that talks about exegeting the culture. 
So uh, one of the leaders here today was talking about even going to a meeting tonight, but all the guys were over 50. So that's an ongoing issue. You know, how do we reach the young generation? And oftentimes, practically speaking, the guys are still flipping pancakes on Saturday morning and wondering why the young guys don't show up right. while they're outside coaching their kids in soccer and the community leagues or whatever. So let, let's talk about bridging those uh, those cultural areas within the congregation and give some more credence to that. Oh, you're absolutely right. One, one of the things I challenge my men to do on Sunday mornings be the last one, be the last one to leave the church. I usually was, but uh, always, always go introduce yourself to somebody new. You know, my name's Pete, and I, what's your name? How long you been here? I'm a charter member. Oh, really? <laughs> but, but sin boldly. You know, get, introduce yourself uh, to, to the guys. Welcome. Take them to take them to lunch. Get coffee, uh, and go after those younger guys. Yeah, yeah. We need to. Um, one of our area directors is out in Portland, Oregon, and um, we visited a church, African American church that they stopped having, and this is radical, they no longer have Sunday morning services. They have Sunday night service. But on Sunday morning, they are saying to their members, go to the soccer fields, go to the play, go to other churches and see how can we pray for you. And they literally stopped having Sunday morning. It still wow. boggles my mind. That's that this, And this is a 79-year-old pastor who said, we're going to get out of Sunday morning and we're going to get to where people are. And that, that again still just grabs me that that he was willing to say we're going to sacrifice what you know my show and then they come together sunday night and they pray for all of these families and they pray for the other churches and they pray for their their community that is you know christ is no longer seen in that place he wants to be able to show them wow jeff let me tell you what i'm doing personally uh you know i'm busy but every now and then i have a pastor or a men's leader that cancels on me or i can't fill that slot well, I've got a list of 10 guys, and they're all in their 20s and 30s. And I'll call them up and say, hey, you want to meet me for coffee? And invariably, those guys say, yeah, absolutely. They'll drop everything because somebody older and, in their view, is wiser. It's questionable. But they want to spend time with them, and I pour my life into them. Just ask them how they're doing, what they're dealing with, and then I, I point them back to Jesus. And they know that. And they just lap it up. When I go into an old church, uh, older church, uh, the average age 70, 72, um, I, one church, I had a bunch of men's leaders here, and I had the windows in back of me. And they're saying, we don't have the young kids anymore. And I'm looking out at, at their beautiful, beautiful facility. They've got three ball fields out there and a community garden. And I say, guys, what, what are those out there? They say, well, those are our ball fields. Anybody play on them anymore? Yeah, sometimes the, the neighborhood kids do. Great. How many times do you go out there and, and talk to the kids? Uh, well, I've never thought of it. So all of a sudden, it's like, okay, these grandpas here, their kids have moved away, their grandkids don't live there anymore. All of a sudden, they saw their community as a place that they could nurture, that they could reach out and just spend time with these kids. And then, again, show them the love of Christ. So one of the common things that, that as we're working with churches, men's leadership teams, there will be the excuse. You know, you know we're, we're trying to reach or we've tried that or we've done this. And there, there's just a, um, a lack of fruit and so therefore a lack of continuing to plant and even to, to cultivate. So in Jesus in John chapter 5, when he came up to the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, asked the question, do you want to be whole? And that's really the first question that we all have to address. Do we want to be whole? And, and that man was laying there with people who were lame, blind, and paralyzed. And we hear a lot of lame excuses. We, we see blindness to real problems and real answers. And they're paralyzed by fear of change. I think that's one of our basic things we face when we start talking about a cultural or a generational difference is, well, that might mean we have to change how we've always done things. There was a book many years ago that was titled The Seven Last Words of the Church. We never did it this way before. Mm-hmm. And until we can come as, the, as this generation, the, the boomers, to say we may not do church the way that we've always done. We may not do men's ministry. We may not do discipleship the way we've always done. Are we willing to be made whole and do whatever's necessary to get there? And, and that this, this links into the... Me- 
Yeah, I cut you off. Uh, the whole man in the mirror focus. Uh, we like to help churches understand that we're not that, that it's an all inclusive uh, discipleship ministry for men. That that we're we're not just trying to get guys to come to the, the the breakfast once a month. Wherever the men in the church are, that's where we want to go to disciple them, and that's what you our directors are so good at helping. Our, our churches that we support understand is that you got everybody in the every man in the church is a part of the men's ministry. They are the they are the men of that church, and so wherever they are, that's where we want to strategize to go and and reach them. And that's why the area director support is so important. I think. Yes, one of the things that I see culturally is in in my area there are a lot of rural churches. And you walk into them, and the quilts are on the wall, and the doilies on the, the altar. And it's like, this is a w- very woman-friendly place, yeah. decorated f- by women for women. Uh, but there's one church w- that I walked into the restroom before I, I met the pastor, and there were five heads, stuffed heads on the wall. In the bathroom. In, in the bathroom, and about six fish, including a shark, and a Red's poster in front of the urinal, and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is men-friendly here. <laughs> and you know, even the even the sanctuary that we were in, worship area, whatever we call it here in this church, uh, that was modern. That was, architecturally, it was, it was exciting. Just like a hundred years ago, arches and wood was exciting, stained glass. So how can we even make the environment inviting for men? Uh, some of my guys in, in in my area have diamond plates in front of a, a, a mechanics cart for their men's area, and that's that's where they get their literature. And it's like men are welcome here, and they're welcome to be men here. And so we're creating and changing the so culture. So the man code in that church, right? Exactly. Is, 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 is exactly. men are wanted here. So our churches can send subliminal uh, messages. Uh, for, yeah. Do we really want men in our church? Or are we just for kids and women? Well, have you guys ready for a summary statement momentarily as we wrap this up today? Let me kind of give you a prelude to the rest of the weekend as far as our involvement as a ministry. So this gives you an overview of the issues and tensions. We're just kind of scratching the surface, a little bit of appetizer comments about some of these things. We would love to dialogue with you further. But we'll be having four ministry tracks. We'll break down a specific way to analyze what's going on in your congregation and also in your particular culture that we can help you with some right next steps. And so we invite you to come and participate with those. It's part of our No Men Left Behind model that's been well proven uh, after observing uh, churches across America that we found church health, we found discipleship effectiveness. What were some key concepts those churches were engaged in? And so... uh, having a chance to have lived this out for a decade in Charlotte, North Carolina, implementing these principles, we'll share those from a practitioner standpoint. Obviously, tremendous speakers, other options for you guys. And so you can visit our website, maninthemirror.org. Tons of free resources and articles. There's some leadership webinars on there that we'll do more drill downs on some of these concepts we talked about today and even beyond this weekend. And so, again, it's been an honor to host you guys today, and hopefully something has been shared uh, to prompt some things as you go forward. We're excited that you have an interest in men's discipleship. Of the four subgroups in a congregation, you know, men are much further down the list. And so there's a lack of intentionality in many places. And so this is crucial for you to grasp some of these concepts. So, Pete, uh, lead us off here with a summary statement as we go back and talk about uh, some of these issues and tensions. What are some right next steps for these guys as well, practically? Yeah. Well, uh, as the men of the church goes, so goes the church. And the church never gets beyond the quality level of its men. I guess I'd leave you with that, how important that is. And and to really jump into, if you have, if you have a chance to jump into these guys, these guys are going to be t- talking about some of the next steps uh, of no man left behind. Um, I, I, I think that really... The cultural issues that we brought up are really opportunities for discipleship. There is not one issue that we brought up that a Christian doesn't lean back and smile and say, Jesus is the answer for this. And and it's a great time to be a Christian man at the beginning of the 21st century if we will reach out and reach men, uh, these problems become leverages into discipling our men at a deeper level. Uh, So that's how I would look at this whole thing.
Ron, you've shared with us in your inner circle, you want to be most effective in this fourth quarter of life. So give a summary statement of the guys today. Well, one thing I'd be remiss if I didn't say, if you live anywhere near Chicagoland next weekend, we're doing FUEL, which is a leaders conference, training of leadership teams, uh, not only for the No Man Left Behind and uh, the Man in the Mirror, but uh, our keynote speaker is David Murrow, who wrote the book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And he's going to be addressing that very question. Why do men hate going to church? So I would encourage you to go to leadersconference.org, shameless plug, and uh, you know, sign up for FUEL. Um, yeah, I, I purposely stepped out of the pastorate to, to uh, join the Man in the Mirror team and to become an area director. And that was uh, because of I felt like I wanted to be this larger kingdom footprint, to make an impact in men and in the culture. A lot of times in, in church, we're asking the wrong questions, so we're fixing the wrong problems. And we got to get out of, out of sometimes the four walls and get into men's lives and find out what's going on and ask those right questions, how, how you really doing, and come to the place of showing them, no matter what problems we're in, discipleship is probably going to be the answer to get out. And so to ask that question, do you want to be whole? Whether that's a church, whether that's a man, whether that's a culture. We got to ask the right questions. I'd say amen to that. Um, I, I'm sold on the Great Commission, and I love it. But it starts out, therefore, uh, go therefore. The, the therefore is therefore what's coming right before it. All authority has been authority and power has been given to Jesus. Therefore, but it's also at the end of the book because it's talking about the genealogy. The, out of the, out of Israel, out of the children of Israel came this, this seed. Uh, out of the birth, the virgin birth, the death, or the the miracles, parables, healings, uh, teachings, the death, the resurrection, all authority. Therefore, and the Greek says, you will be compelled to go while you're going. You know, because you've had this encounter with Jesus, you're going to go and make disciples. Mm-hmm. But I think it starts with us of how do we create an environment where they can meet Jesus, this Jesus. This powerful Jesus, this Jesus of history, of power, of miracles and healings. And, you know, how, how can we introduce guys to that? Um, as man in the mirror, we're really doing that intentionally. Um, I, I'm coaching nine area directors now. And this week I, I added up the numbers. Uh, we are, we've touched over uh, 1,300 churches, but we're really intentionally and, and getting traction with 290. And if I just take a real conservative number, uh, and my math is right, 290 times 300 men, that's 87,000 guys. Mm-hmm. Now, out of that, the average is that 23% are involved in anything growth-oriented outside of the... No, only 23% are involved in anything outside of the Sunday morning service, anything that will help them to grow. And we're changing that number. Awesome. We're creating methods and intentionality of doubling that number so that 20,000 men now become 40,000 men. And if you start immobilizing the guys to really encounter this Jesus and as a result create this army of believers. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.